You are now listening to Beat the Press with Matt Lombardo and Teron Davenport. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back into the Beat the Press podcast. It's episode seven. He's Teron Davenport of the Eagles Wire of USA Today. And I'm Matt Lombardo of NJ.com and 97.5 The Fanatic. Teron Eagles training camp is now in full swing. The opener of the preseason is on Thursday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about through the first week of practice in pads, the first two weeks of training camp. Hello, sir. I am thrilled to be back in the saddle with you talking shop man I, I you see the smile on my face I'm happy to do this uh it's been great covering this Eagles team so far and I, I'm excited about the season to come I saw a lot of things in, in camp I really like the way they're you know organizing how, yep. how everything's going with the hitting and, and just the contact and that's what you want to see, man. It's exciting. And you're already starting to see some position battles develop at wide receiver, at cornerback, at a couple of other positions. You're starting to see some players begin to separate themselves from the competition. And, mm. of course, the most intriguing topic that we've discussed all the way back from the run-up to the NFL draft to run has been the quarterback position. Yes. And to my, the best of what I have seen over this first week, Carson Wentz has done a very nice job adjusting to the speed of the NFL game, ratcheting it up from being in shorts and shells to in pads. And in Thursday's practice to run, he had five touchdown passes in six attempts in a red zone drill. He was dialed in on Thursday. I definitely agree with you. He was dialed in. I really like that touch pass. Well, the back-to-back passes. First, he, he hit Byron Marshall on the wheel route. Yep. Drop shot right into the corner of the end zone. And then the, the timing and, and touch to, to hit Trey Burton, who, by the way, was lined up at wide receiver. They're lining you know, him up all it, over the place. Tight end, fullback, wide receiver. However they can get the ball in Trey Burton's hands, they're going to line him up there to try to make it happen. He's the Swiss Army knife. That's really what yeah. he is. And it was a beautiful pass to get him the ball. And I really like how he touched his toes and, and, and was able to get his feet inbound. It was almost like he was – used to playing on the boundary like he belonged on the boundary in a Chris Carter type of way. I'm not saying the same type of receiver, but it, it was reminiscent of the plays that, that Chris Carter used to make on the boundary, whether it be on the sideline or the corner of the end zone. I'm, I'm excited to see what, what Trey Burton brings, but you mentioned Wentz, and, and you see velocity on the football. He made a couple nice throws, and on Wednesday also hashed the sideline, which is something that he's always specialized in doing. You're seeing the improvement with the deep ball. And just the fact that he's able to come out here and, and play with so much going on in his mind. What I really like about that, Teron, is we've had reports. Adam Kaplan was on my show on 97.5 saying that the Eagles coaching staff had adjusted the way that he's holding the football. Doug Peterson came out during his press conference prior to the open practice at Lincoln Financial Field and said that the Eagles are working on the way that he stands in the pocket. Sometimes he gets a little jumpy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he stands a little too tall. The point of these anecdotes are that they're making changes. The coaching staff for that first week, week and a half of training camp were making some mechanical adjustments to Carson Wentz's game. And what really impressed me, and even though the ball wasn't caught on this particular play, it was during 7-on-7. Seven seven. It was a 45-yard go route down the field. I believe it was Caleb Jones who was the target. It looked like the ball was perfectly placed. There was no wobble. It wasn't caught because Randall Evans tackled Caleb Jones oh, by the yeah. horse collar. Yeah. Blatant pass interference 
interference in a seven-on-seven, but you didn't see the wobble or the flutter on the football coming out of Wentz's hands. He wasn't afraid to trust and lead his wide receiver on a deep route, and I know that they haven't opened this up to any sort of competition for the starting job, but Teron, it's nice to see after the wobble did come back, after he looked a little bit unsteady through the first four or five practices, Carson Wentz looks like the Carson Wentz you saw during the spring again. Well, Matt, here's the thing that really impressed me is just, okay, A, he's processing the playbook. B, as you mentioned, you're going from shorts and and helmets to full gear. Yep. Granted, he has the red shirt on. He's not getting hit. But best believe, like you saw on Thursday, whether it be Vinnie Curry, Stephen Means, whoever, they're getting pressure on him. So he's seeing another color jersey. But in addition to that, the footwork that he's he's changing, the mechanics sure. and everything, despite all that, he's still able to, to make his reads and make the play. That is a that's that's a that's impressive yep. to be able to make those reads and do all that well. Everything processing and spinning in your mind. You talk to some of the other guys, I mean, and talking to Different players, you know, that are are trying to catch up now, who who weren't here in minicamp or who just didn't have the best minicamp. You know, all of them are saying, "Hey, listen, you know what? Everything is going too fast, and I'm thinking too much, and that's not allowing me to play fast. Nothing goes faster on the football field." Than quarterback, especially in the yep. red zone. And, and that's and I, where he excelled. And I know that we don't want to make too much of training camp practices or two or three training camp practices, but I remember Phil Sims in the run-up to the draft the day before the NFL draft coming on 97.5 and basically saying that his quote-unquote welcome to the NFL moment was that first practice of training camp in pads. He threw two interceptions and he said, you know what, I'm not going to do that again. It was that adjustment of practice speed without pads to practice speed in pads. That's a great first step. I think there are a lot of things to be encouraged about by Carson Wentz, but but it's still a wait-and-see process yeah. with him. He's still going to go through some growing pains, and we might not see him at all this year in the regular season or until late in the year, but you'll get your first look of Wentz in game action against Tampa Bay in the preseason opener next week. But just to run through the other quarterback quickly, Teron, before we get into some of the other position battles, Sam Bradford, I think, has been very up and down. I think the good days have been very good. The bad days have been very bad. And that's kind of in contrast to what we saw a year ago, where even though he didn't have the mobility because he was still walking around in the knee brace, I thought he was a rock star last year. I thought that every day there was a practice that made you go, wow, that made you say, this ball placement is what's going to make him a franchise quarterback. He's just been very inconsistent through the first seven or eight practices of this camp. I fell victim to that same thing that week that the Ravens came up here, which allowed me to see the the Eagles up yep. close. And man, I, I was really impressed with Bradford. But you know, looking at this year and you know, what I'm seeing from him is just I'm seeing the accuracy, I'm seeing the the timing, the precision, the ability to get the ball to these guys, whether it be Nelson Aguilar, Jordan Matthews, Josh Huff, et cetera, Ruben Randall, yep, you know Chris Givens, that yep. going deep to him. The timing is there, and I really like that. And I, I, I see after the play, you know, the the subtle things that make him a leader. He's not a rah rah guy. You're not gonna, you know, he's not gonna do the discount double check. You know, he's not out there dabbing or anything like that. But after plays, if something isn't right, he's gonna go to that receiver. Hey, listen, I wanted you to do this. You did that. Yep. 
you can't do this. You have to do do that. You have to do this. And he talked about that last week where we asked him about the, the value and the importance of going into the huddle. And he said just that to Ron, that, that it gives you an opportunity mm-hmm. between plays to kind of get with your wide receivers, even if it's for two or three seconds, to say something, make a correction before the next play. I do believe if he stays healthy, Bradford is, is, is fully equipped to approach 4,000 yeah. yards, oh, yeah. put up 30 to 35 touchdowns and limit the interceptions to 10 to 12 because he's never been an interception or turnover guy throughout his career, but he's going to have to stay healthy. That, yes. That's always been the question mark about Sam Bradford and this offense with the ability to audible, the, the continued development and growth of the chemistry with players like Jordan Matthews and Zach Ertz is, is only going to help him and help this offense going into this year. Without a doubt. Uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, I just, in addition to that, I think it's admirable just the way he's handling this whole situation knowing that he's not likely to, to be here next year, right. but he's still going out there. And you remember the other day, Jordan Matthews talked about that. You know, he said the last thing coaches want to deal with is extra nonsense. And that's not what he's giving them. He's just going out, doing his job, and that's winning over the locker room also because yep. they're putting themselves in his shoes and just seeing how he's reacting to everything and continuing to be a leader and, and, and really uh, you know overseeing his offense is admirable. Now, other thing I want to mention, unless you have something else on Bradford, I, I want to get get to get to Chase Daniel, yeah. who in my book, and I think you'll agree, he's been the most consistent quarterback in training oh, yeah. camp so far. And I've written about this several times on NJ.com about the fact that the most consistent quarterback has been Chase Daniel. And in a lot of ways, Tron, we'd expect that because right. he's the most familiar with the, the offense. He's the yeah. most comfortable in the scheme. And he's running against the second team yeah. defense. And, yeah. and that's not taking away anything from Chase. Daniel because he's actually surpassed my expectations that I had for him going into this summer. I think that he's he's a guy again every time you talk to him comes off like he's a leader. Yes. Comes off like that there's no as much as there's competition every day. He says that he plays golf with Carson Wentz. He's gone out playing golf with Sam Bradford that these guys are getting along in the quarterback room. And again, th- this is no competition for the starting job it's Sam Bradford's job to lose at some point due to injury or ineffectiveness but there's something to be said to Ron for the fact that Daniel has been the best most consistent quarterback of the bunch yeah he's the most comfortable in the offense Uh, he's the guy that was brought here to not only you know be the backup quarterback he was brought here to be the teacher too yep and I had a good conversation with him on Thursday about that just you know how he's getting kind of prepared preparation you know a prelude to what it could be like coaching in the NFL and he got a good good laugh out of out of him when I, when I said that but just you mentioned the leadership right yep. one of the things when I look to a leader uh, I, I look at just the ability to energize me and I tell you talking to him one-on-one it was like boom a switch turned on for sure and this guy lit up and, and I, I wanted to be like hey look man let me get some cleats. I want to go run some routes for you, <laughs> you know, because just the way we were talking about just the timing yeah. on the routes, uh, he hit Chris Givens on a nice, uh, we call it a Dino route. And he was kind of shocked when I, when I told him what it was called, but yeah, it's, you know, you run and you, you um, put your foot in the ground, you break to the corner and then come back to the post. He, he beat Eric Rowe on that one and it was a beautiful throw. And that's what I'm talking about with, with Chase Daniel. The anticipation is there. He doesn't have the strongest arm. Yep. I mean, he's not Carson Wentz. He's not Sam Bradford as far as his ability to push the ball out there, but his anticipation, understanding when the, the receiver is going to make that, that break and throwing the ball before he makes that break to that spot, allowing him to run underneath the ball, get to the spot 
Chris Gibbons the other day caught a beautiful arrow route where he was able to beat the corner and Daniel just dropped back, three-step drop, threw it to a spot, made Gibbons run underneath, actually made him run faster. And we haven't seen that here in a while. Deshaun Jackson used to do that all the time. Yeah, game-breaking speed. Yeah, they'll throw the ball, and it's game-breaking speed, but it's also just that go-get-it speed. We saw that today, We saw that Thursday in the 7-on-7s seven seven at the start of practice where it was Bradford who was the quarterback, dropped back, moved the pocket slightly to the left, and had a great timing throw to Jordan Matthews yeah, in the, yeah, corner. the corner. It was yeah. a corner route, and he threw it to a spot, and Matthews went and got it. And I think that that's going to be one of the signature plays of this offense, not just to Jordan Matthews, not just on the outside, to somebody like Chris Givens to run, but even the tight ends when you get yeah. down in the red zone, they're going to try to run those timing patterns. And just switching gears real quick to the defense because I know you brought up Eric mm. Rowe in that conversation. Cornerback has been one of the more intriguing positions all through camp. And I remember doing the show with you back during OTAs, back during the mandatory minicamp, and it was the Jalen Mills show. And Jalen right. Mills stepped in, took first team reps during the mandatory camp, and he's shown up during this training camp, and I I might be going just a tad too far, but I don't believe I am, Teron. If I had to give out a, a training camp MVP award for this summer, it would go to Jalen Mills. Because every day, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, Teron, every day Jalen Mills is making a play, a seventh-round draft choice. Jalen Mills is making a play that makes you stand up and pay attention. And it's not just me saying this. It's not just your random fans on Twitter saying this. Coaches who I've spoken to are very impressed by Jalen Mills. Teammates can't stop gushing over Jalen Mills. And on Thursday, he did it again. Seven on seven, late in the practice, up against Chase Daniel. It's a ball over the middle of the field. Receiver beat him on a cut. He makes a really nice play on the ball. Teron picks it off returns at 30 yards for a touchdown. It's just that kind of a play that makes you stand up and pay attention. And I'm not at all (laughs) surprised that he's in the mix for a potential starting job as an outside corner, and he appears to have supplanted Eric Rowe on the depth chart. Well, here's the thing with the depth chart. Uh, Before I I piggyback off of your praise for uh, Jalen Mills, which is – it's worthy of being given – uh, just looking at the depth chart, you know, you have your left and your right corner. Yep. And obviously the starting left is McKelvin. The starting right is Nolan Carroll. Well, Bro- it's probably going to be Ron Brooks. Ron Brooks well, has taken I, a lot of first-team reps during this camp in 11-on-11. He, he took a lot on Thursday, I will say that. I think he'll see some time nickel, but I just I, – I don't, I don't put him – you can't go out there with two 5-10 corners. No. You can't do that. and Not in this division especially. Right. It, not only just period. Yeah. You're going to see – Come next week when you have, you know, Mike Evans, a daggone power forward (laughs) out there, you cannot put Brooks out there on him and have McKelvin out there at the same time. So that being said, I think the size of Nolan Carroll will will help an ability to, you know, jump the slants, his quickness. But just looking at Jalen Mills, so you got left and right corner. Second team, left and right corner, you have left Jalen Mills, you got right Eric Rowe. So even though they're both cornerbacks, so to speak, they're still playing somewhat of a different position because you're not seeing guys flipping sides too much. No, I know last year with Bill Davis, it was very etched in stone. You had your left and your right corner. Nobody traveled. I I don't know that that's going to be the case with Jim Schwartz. I I think guys may travel, but I think really for the most part, they're going to fall into the sides that they fall into. And you don't really hear a lot of the guys saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm getting work at, at left and right. 
You know, and in watching them, you just see them specifically at left or right, yep. or the slot, the, the nickel. But just when you look at Jalen, Jalen, I almost said Jalen Rose, man. <laughs> this ain't an NBA show. This is NFL. What, what am I doing? But just when you look at Jalen Mills, you know, the thing that that always stands out to me is just his ability to pattern match. And that interception that you mentioned on Thursday, you know, my guy, man, I, I'm a Corey Island fan. Yeah, you know. And his reaction, you know, holy S-H-I-T. And he ran over to him, patted his head, you know, and just watching what he was able to do with the corners in the beginning of practice, I remember, and I was tweeting about it, just watching the the technique work. I remember they ran through three different routes, and he was showing them how to get position and and undercut the slant route. He was showing them how to, you know, pattern match on the comebacks, on the curls. And to see that transfer – from the beginning of practice to actually individual or not team or, or seven on seven period that that tells yeah. me that that coaching is really there and Jalen Mills really took that coaching in and really all Unlin is doing is just reinforcing that the thing is already there. Yep, we saw the pattern match ability at LSU. I saw it at, at the Senior Bowl. I mean, this and he's guy was physical, dominating one on one. Very physical. Very physical corner. He's not afraid to challenge a wide receiver at the line of scrimmage, and he's not afraid to lay back and almost as Sante Samuel would jump around, mm-hmm. but but do it and pick his spots from what right. we've seen so far. Not a riverboat gambler, just somebody that has a, a very good read of a quarterback, very good read on the football. And fans are going to get to see him for the first time against Tampa Bay in the preseason. But but if you're looking for somebody to watch, Jalen Mills is somebody that could step right into battling for a starting job and and outside of the cornerback job Teron, there aren't that many position battles for starting jobs that are being waged on this roster and, and in some ways that's encouraging because you have your first team working together every day in practice and, and at the other hand it's a little discouraging because when you look up and down this roster once you get past your 11 starters on offense your 11 starters on defense there's not a whole lot of depth, and Jim Schwartz spoke about that on Thursday, and not too enthusiastically either. Yeah. It's just tough. I mean, he talked Thursday about how he wants everybody to be more consistent. And then he came back later on and, and corrected him, not correcting himself, but just clarified it and, and excluded the safeties, which that's really the strong point of this defense, yep. honestly. Yep. But just just looking at the corners, you know, I, I, I'm happy with what I've seen from Eric Rowe once the pads have gone on. And this is something that Doug Peterson had predicted. He really wanted to see him once they started to get physical. And it, there's just some corners that, you know, I'm aren't, not saying aren't necessarily he, cover guys. but he, are he's, a, he's yeah. a cover guy. Yeah. I, and I'm not saying he doesn't have the footwork because I think his, his footwork is, is top shelf. But there are some guys who just have to be able to use their hands to slow the receiver down at the line if they're going to cover him. And then in addition to that, looking at some of the things that, that he told me the other day, just as far as you know, having that fire lit under him now. And, and it's it was amazing that he said this. And I just smiled when he said it because I'm like, you took the words right out of my mind. It really was a, a more lax type of attitude. Sure. You know, uh, he was a bit lost because, you know, everything was just spinning too fast. He was trying to settle into the defense and thinking too much, and he couldn't play as fast as, as he normally can, in addition to not being able to maximize his strength, which is getting jammed on the line. Right, and being a more physical corner, yeah. which is so much easier to do. 
once you put the pads on. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. You're allowed to do it. In, in minicamp, you know, you're not allowed to have contact Correct. With, with the receiver at the line of scrimmage. But, man, I don't know if you saw the jam that he put, I, I, what was it, Wednesday, I think it was, the jam that he put on T.J. Graham. <sighs> Quarterback had to look the other way quickly because he saw <laughs> hey, nothing's happening on this side. If you could pinpoint one player who has taken the biggest step forward from the spring to the summer during training camp, Toronto, who would it be? I'm going back to Eric Rowe, honestly. Yeah. I'm going back to him. You know, he he's a guy that, that's back in his element, so to speak. I mean, I would have to say him. He's He came alive. It, it, this week, Sunday, Monday, you know, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, Thursday he had a decent practice. Uh, not the best, but Wednesday was his best practice. Just the physicality. I remember Ruben Randall, you know, caught a, a ball at, at the line, and he came up, gave him a good, good pop, you yeah. know, and brought him to the ground. Yep. Uh, he he was very physical with Aguilar on a couple routes, which is not easy to do because Aguilar is very shifty. He pattern matched the the uh, one of the curls he ran and and jumped in and and knocked it down. He's had numerous interceptions this week. I think it would be Eric Rowe. How about you? I'll say on that side of the ball, I'll stay in the secondary, Teron, but I'm going Rodney McLeod mm. because even during the spring, I, I know that we all stood up and took notice of Rodney McLeod, especially early because maybe more so than what he was doing on the field, just the attitude that he brought to the practice and the celebration after a big pass breakup or something of that nature. But very similarly to Jalen Mills, Teron, I can't think of a practice where Rodney McLeod didn't have an interception. Yeah, he had one on Saturday. <laughs> he delivered the first big hit of the camp, almost knocked Josh Huff out of his cleats, added a little helmet to helmet for good nature, had an interception Sunday at the open practice at the link, had another interception on uh, Monday, had another interception on Thursday. Just like Jalen Mills, Teron, every day, Teron, uh, it looks like, Somebody like Rodney McLeod is stepping up, making a big play. And I'm not all that surprised, but it's Malcolm Jenkins and it's Rodney McLeod who Jim Schwartz seems to go out of his way to praise even when nothing else seems to be going right in his opinion about his defense. Rodney McLeod, he's solid. Remember standing? we were standing there when when the practice started and there was a pick and uh, I turned and I said, look, man, your guy, he's done it again. (laughs) <laughs> and he, every practice, there was another time uh, in in red zone seven on seven. He jumped a Bradford slant. Yeah, I mean he has a nose for the football. Got a knack. Uh, he just he finds the football. Even in, on on Wednesday's practice, they they set uh, Malcolm Jenkins off the edge. He he got to uh, break the ball up. You know, knock the ball in the air, and and who's there to pick it up? Nobody but Rodney McLeod. Which is crazy because you have one safety playing in the box, so naturally you're going to have the other one playing you know, back a little bit. But he was able to come up and make the play. Rodney McLeod is, is a very, very good safety. And when I watch him, I think of a guy like Earl Thomas. He's very similar as far as being undersized, but he literally puts every cell of his body into every hit that he makes always around the football a guy that is very instinctive he's fast he comes up and he's going to blow up screens he's going to be fun to watch on defense for sure what I really like about having Malcolm Jenkins and having Rodney McLeod in the secondary to run not only does it make the cornerbacks better and there are, there's a lot of people that are concerned 
about the cornerback play and the unknown of Ron, of Ron Brooks or or whether it's going to be Jalen Mills or Eric Rowe or or Nolan Carroll at the other outside spot. A lot of people are concerned about the corners, but when you get strong, consistent, dynamic safety play, it elevates the production out of your cornerbacks, and it also gives Jim Schwartz the flexibility because they're two very similar players to, to leave McLeod playing center field and move Malcolm Jenkins into the slot or to leave Jenkins playing center field and put Rodney McLeod down there in run support and be that eighth guy in the box there are going to be some very interesting personnel groupings and very interesting defensive formations that are afforded to the coordinator because of the level of play these two bring to the table yeah the just the ability to be interchangeable the ability to do it all that's something that ed reynolds talked about yep you know coming in for the safety he he knows hey look if I'm going to back these guys up and I'm going to be called upon to come to the game, I need to be able to do everything that they could do and do it well. They're setting the tone just yep. just for the, the, all the safeties. They're setting the tone for the DB, for the defense, period. These guys are setting the tone. And I was a little bit surprised by the tone and tenor, uh, Teron, of Jim Schwartz's press conference following Thursday's practice because – I thought, and I know that we're seeing it through a different scope. We're not in there in the film room every day. We're not watching the nuance of the mistakes being made by these players. We're not necessarily that in tune with what the coaches are thinking versus what they're seeing on the practice field. But I was almost shocking to me how much more dominant in the 11-on-11 move the football drill at the end of each practice that the defense has been over the offense. You look at today's practice, Thursday's practice, for example. Mm. Jordan Hicks blows through the line of scrimmage untouched, sacks Sam Bradford on the first play. You're seeing Vinnie Curry get into the backfield. You're seeing the offense struggle to move the ball five yards down the field, let alone get a first round. You're seeing, seeing turnovers being orchestrated. It just seems to me, based on what I've seen, and this is probably the norm at this time of year, yeah. but this defense is very far ahead of this offense right now. I'm going to agree with you, and that's just always the case when you have new schemes being implemented. The The defense, because you're able to just react to what the offense is doing, it's always easier when you're both at you know the, the, the same point of, of learning, the point of install. But at the same time, you mentioned Vinnie Curry, you mentioned Jordan Hicks, I'm going to start calling him Jets, man. Brandon Graham uh, <laughs> from the right side. That guy is getting in there also. He, he's coming off the edge. Steven Means is another one. He did a, had back-to-back plays on, on Thursday. Yep. One of the times, you know, they tried to run the Jets sweep to Nelson Aguilar, and he maintained the outside contain, gave him that good pop. They're going thud. They weren't going live sure. on Thursday, but he gave him a good pop, let him know he was there. Next play, he comes off the edge. Uh, he was in the four-point stand, come off the edge, and he was able to get that pressure on Wentz, force him to rush the throw, and he it wasn't an accurate throw because he had to rush it. So you just look at just the overall, and then not to mention that they're sending the safeties. You know, you're seeing a lot of different blitzes, which is interesting, coming from a Jim Schwartz type of scheme because usually like it's the, the front four. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so, you know, there's going to be a lot to think about for offensive coordinators, and it's going to be, uh, you know, I keep saying fun to watch, but I really think this team is going to be fun to watch, honestly. It, it's going to be interesting to watch. It's going to be interesting, and it's going to be fun to watch this team build on both sides of the football. I still believe, and I've been pretty consistent on this all the way back from the spring, Teron, I believe that this team will go as far as its defense will take it. And I do believe that this defense has the talent, it has the scheme, it has the personnel, it has the coaching to be a threat to be a top 10 defense in the NFL. I, I agree. I mean, they it, one of the first shows we, we had, you know, Solomon Wilcox. 
Yep. He talked about being strong at each position. Yep. Remember he mentioned uh, Brandon Graham is one of the better guys, and we kind of looked at each other. And It's funny. I guess he, he read the Madden ratings. You know, they had, <laughs> they had B. Graham ranked ahead of Michael Bennett. I'm not sure I agree with that, but at the same time, that just says a lot about Brandon Graham. He has potential. I think that he could be a double-digit. I mean, they could have three to four double-digit sack guys I agree. That's on one this of, uh, roster. That's one of my bold predictions, that three players or more get double-digit sacks. And a man who knows all about defense, none other than Gary Cobb of gcobb.com, will bring him in here and get his observations and his early takeaways from Eagles training camp. Jay, appreciate a couple minutes here on the Beat the Press podcast. Uh, first of all, thanks for dropping by. And secondly, as we now have entered the, the second week of pads being on, looking ahead to the preseason opener, what are some of your biggest takeaways from what you've seen so far in this Eagles training camp? Well, you know, I see what's a, a lot of what's going to be 21 formation. That's two tight ends and one running back. Uh, you're going to see a lot of that in Everything's going to come down, if you ask me, to they got to be able to run the ball. Uh, if they run the ball, it's going to set up what they like to do, which is they want to put those two tight ends in. They like to have Ertz. Uh, they think he's improved his blocking. Have Ertz, and you've got Trey Burton in there. Matched up against your linebackers with good, solid run fakes. That's going to be a big part of the passing game. they got to get that running game going. And so, you know, concerns – with me, is I haven't seen Ryan Matthews. Has anybody hmm. seen Ryan Matthews? Or Brandon Brooks. Yeah, I mean, come on. We, we need those guys. You know, they're a big part of things. And, of course, you know, seeing Jason Peters go down, you know, uh, that's, that, that's, that's something that could be a problem. So there are some question marks. But, you know, they're a team that's going to want to run the football, make it easy uh, for Sam Bradford to complete passes. They're going to want to work. They're tight ends because they got some good. They got two good pass catching tight ends, so they're going to want to do that. Whole thing is, can they get the running game going? Can they stay healthy? Can Jason Peters stay healthy? Can Ryan Matthews stay healthy? Ryan, you didn't even show up, man. What's happening? You know, so <laughs> that's the thing that I look at. I um, I think they could have a team if everything were to work out, where they could challenge for the division. If everything were to work out, chances are everything's not going to work out because the people that get hurt continue to get hurt, like Ryan Matthews, Jason Peters is getting up there in years. His body seems to be trying to starting to break down. And then, you know, we know about Sam. we got to try to keep him up. So uh, you got a lot of question marks there. Jordan Hicks, another guy, tremendous player. Jordan Hicks uh, is, is an outstanding young linebacker who is a big addition to the team, and he fits into the, today's NFL because he's very good at covering the pass. Mm-hmm. And he can make big plays, and he, he, he uh, can read things fast. The whole thing is, can he stay healthy? So uh, I look at the Eagles, and, uh, you know, I, I probably couldn't put my money on them, you know, finishing above 500 because, you know, to expect all those things to happen positively would, would be asking a lot. And then, you know, you've got people that got to step up uh, at the corner position, the wide receiver position. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but – uh, we just want this team to develop and be going in the right direction. That's the big thing I'm concerned about. And so hopefully everything works out and the people they need to stay healthy, stay healthy. Now, G, you mentioned the, the multiple tight end type of formations. Uh, one of the things that Peterson and Andy Reid did in Kansas City, they used a lot of three tight end sets with O'Shaughnessy as, as well as uh, Travis Kelsey. And one of the other tight ends, I forget his name, but it allowed them to give looks 
out of uh, the big package, so to speak. They were able to, you know, flex their their tight ends out as receivers. Now, as a guy that played the linebacker position, what kind of matchup problems do you see being able to do that with Zach Ertz and, and Trey Burton? What kind of matchup problems does that provide? Okay, it's 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 just a headache because first of all, what do you put in the game on the defensive side? You know, do you want to take out your DBs? You want to take out a corner? Uh, you want to match these guys up against linebackers? And really, the, the offense gets you in a position where this is a run formation. You have got to honor the run. So right. you really got to keep the linebackers in. And now they're matched up on guys they don't match up well against. Because um, you're talking about some outstanding receivers who they think can beat a linebacker all day long. So the offense gets the matchup they want. Plus, the DB, uh, the linebackers in there playing out of position. You know, uh, as a linebacker, I don't want to walk out anywhere. So, <laughs> I want to play, you know, in the box. Yeah. You know, you start walking me out, man. I'm upset. I don't want to walk out there, you know. And uh, once they get you walked out, now you got a guy playing out of position. And and really, you can go after him. And a lot of times he's in a man-to-man situation. He's doing something he's not used to doing, and he's doing something that he doesn't like to do. And so that's why this is such a positive. I appreciate you mentioning about the three tight end thing because that is one of the keys uh, – it is such a strong run formation because you've got guys that are good blockers, the tight ends in there. But it's great when you talk about play action because you fake the run. they got to honor that run, especially if they get that running game going. And now you've got those tight ends isolated on the linebackers. It's just a great matchup. And you might have them taking some of their best cover guys off the field. Right. You know, So it, it's just a great uh, – I, I think it's a great idea. And I think Doug – because this is something Andy never did. So I think this is some, something Doug to develop. And I, I think it's a, it's a great idea. I think it's, a, it's sound. The whole thing also, though, is, you know, uh, these guys got to be able to run the football effectively. And that means you're going to see, you know, Winslow Smallwood is going to be part of it. John Barner. Uh, these guys got to hold on to the football. You can't fumble the football if you're going to play this type of offense. And it is an offense that is an offense that is not necessarily big play down the field. But it's steady, and it grinds away the defense. And that means you've got to be playing good defense on, on when uh, when the defense is out there. And also, you got to, you got to convert when you get into the red zone. That's yeah. the big thing, getting in the, in, the, uh, in the end zone. Gee, let's switch gears and look at the defense. And obviously, one of the key position battles, and we spent a, a significant portion of the earlier part of the show talking about the cornerback position and the corner battle opposite of Leotis McKelvin. We've seen Ron Brooks taking extensive first-team reps on the outside. We've seen Jalen Mills get a crack at first-team reps. We've seen Nolan Carroll, after re-signing with this team in the offseason, getting his shot at, at opportunities to compete opposite of Leotis McKelvin. It seems as though McKelvin has his name etched in stone as one of the starting cornerbacks. How do you see the battle playing out? How do you handicap it for that other starting cornerback spot? Well, I think it's uh, it's a thing. I think uh, I put my money with Nolan Carroll. Uh, I just think that he has shown that he can play, and he should be better than he was last year once he gets back to full full health with that ankle. Uh, you know, I like what he showed me last year. He, he can he can go up and play a guy uh, and be physical on the outside. He's got outstanding speed, and, and I like him. I don't know Ron Brooks as well, and I know that uh, he's probably had more success playing in the nickel. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to lean towards Nolan Carroll when he's back to full health, uh, it, you know, and I because I, I just don't think he has gotten to the height of his game because he, he just started starting. 
He showed a lot of promise last year, and I think if he can come in uh, and, and play with that same kind of confidence and even go up a few notches confidence-wise, uh, I think he can be an outstanding uh, corner. So I'm going to go with Nolan without there, and uh, I, I expect him, and, and just from talking to him, he's confident that he can do it, and, and I, I feel good about him too. I tell you, it's interesting talking to Nolan Carroll after the practice on Sunday. He was telling me how he got his ankles taped. That's the first time he's doing it, and he's still you know, getting comfortable doing that. I thought that was pretty interesting. You mentioned the confidence, and I, I like that as well, along with the cat-like quickness, and that's what allows him to undercut those slants so well. So I think he's really trustworthy on the outside. I like to see Eric Rowe get some shots on, on the outside also, You know, his ability to jam. But what I wanted to do was just move it inside, back to your position again. And, and just looking at the 3-4, I mean, you had guys two-gapping up front, and as a linebacker, they were able to just kind of clean up. But in this different scheme, I mean, everybody's attacking one gap, and, and it's a little bit different for, for the linebackers where you got to take on uh, some of the offensive linemen. Uh, in, in your opinion, I mean, what's the major difference as far as the assignment for a linebacker as in a 4-3 as opposed to a 3-4? Well, uh, I think the 3-4 is just more consistent. You know, uh, you don't have to uh, really, I don't think, in the 3-4 in the it seems like, you know, you've got to take people on, uh, but you don't have to make, you know, these, uh, the, 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 I guess, the, the, what I'd consider to be the most outstanding plays. I think uh, in this 4-3 um, that they play, you know, uh, you've got to have some great plays made by the linebackers, you know, and that's why I think Hicks is so important because he's got a feel of making tackles in space. And I think that's what you've got to do if you're playing the, uh, the wide nine is you're going to have to make some tackles in space as a linebacker. Uh, and they're tough plays. But you've got to have somebody in there that can make them uh, because at times you're going to give up some gaps. You've got your, your defensive line shooting upfield, and sometimes you just have to have an instinct for where that ball is going to break. You're not sure all the time. And uh, if you've got a guy with good instinct, um, maybe even not on the big, bigger side, but just the quickness he's got to have to be able to make these plays in open field, uh, that's what I've seen that is, is very important in, in the wide nine. Uh, you've got to have a linebacker there in the middle to do that. And so I think Hicks can do that. I don't know if the other guys on this roster, if they have another guy on the roster that can do it uh, well enough to, to be a starter. So they need him to stay healthy. and. Uh, the big thing is, uh, you know, he's got to be playing at the top of his game because, you know, you, you give up some gappers when, you, when you're going at the quarterback like that. Interesting. And I tell you what, tackling has been an issue with this team in, in the recent past. And I, I didn't even know that Chip Kelly, cause, you know, I'm coming up here from covering the Ravens where they were hitting in practice. You, you saw they just got penalized for putting pads on when they shouldn't. So every practice was physical for the most part. Now, over the last three years, these guys it, apparently weren't even tackling. So, That's right. I mean, how important is it to be able to practice actually proper tackling technique and actually being physical in practice? How does that transfer to game day? I, I think it's very important because you don't have time to cognitively be thinking on the football field when you're playing defense. Amen. Most of the time when that play starts, everything is instinct. You cannot, you know, it's got to be something you have in deeper in your mind than just something that you cognitively sit there and think it out. Because if you sit there and think it out, the play is over. The guy's already taken off. So you got to do things instinctively. 
And I think the only way you get to that is you've got to practice tackling. You know, you've got to know where to approach a guy. You've got to come up with a feel of where to take this guy on, depending on the way he's running, how big he is, how he likes to run. And you've got to be attacking. You can't come up and you're, um, you're being too careful. You've got to go in, attack him, and make him commit. You know, because you've got other guys coming to make the tackle as well. But you can't come up where you, where you just, you know, the whole game is not, is not the thing where you sit there and think everything out. You've got to be instinctively during the play because it happens so fast. And tackling is something that you've got to make the same way. You've got to do it so many times where you're doing it based on, a, you know, a deeper feeling about it, that you know what you're going to do, and you're not coming up there guessing and, and tentative because uh, you can't play the game tentatively like that. Gary, last one before I let you go and appreciate the time as always. We talked about everything that has to go right for this team to compete. If this goes right, if this goes right, if that goes wrong for an opponent, if that goes wrong for a team in the division, this team can be in the mix. But realistically, based on what we've seen so far, based on the starters, based on perhaps a, a general lack of depth up and down the roster, what realistically are your expectations for this team and what will become this team's identity? Well, you know, as I look at it, I think the defense is the best side of the ball, and I think that's the, the, I agree. the defensive line. The defensive line, you know, uh, uh, they got some guys that can get after you. You know, with Fletcher and with Benny Curry coming, uh, they're going to be getting after people. So, uh, you know, they're going to be the key, I think, you know, in the, big, the best part of the team. Uh, unfortunately, I, I look at the offense, and, and I'm not confident because I, I see where you've got people got to answer the bell, and you're not sure whether they are or not. So uh, at this point right now, I think we're looking at a you know seven-win team, and you know that, that's with, with things going somewhat well. And I, I think the team is going to be known for you know the way they get after the passer. You know that, that they will do that well. Appreciate the time as always. He's G Cobb. You can follow him at Gary Cobb on Twitter. You read him at gcobb.com. Thanks again, Gary. Look forward to talking to you further up the road again on the Beat the Press podcast. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Teron, that was just excellent insight from G. Cobb, as always. Very plugged in and a former player bringing that perspective of of what he's seen so far in camp. And I I love the fact that he believes this is going to be a team that's going to want to run the football. I envision this offense being very similar to a running back by committee that you saw in Kansas City after Jamal Charles got down, went down with an injury a year ago when you got Niall Davis with carries. You had Chuck Kendrick West with carries. Spencer Ware with carries. Mm -hmm. We're already seeing both Wendell Smallwood and Ryan Matthews banged up in this camp. That opens the door for guys like undrafted rookie Byron Marshall, guys like Kenyon Barner to take on a significant piece of the pie, not to mention Darren Sproles. And it just seems like they have running backs to rotate through there. Not necessarily a workhorse, but running back that they can rely on or they hope they can rely on that they're going to need to be able to rely on if this offense is going to be at all effective this year. I agree. And G mentioned having to focus be on defense and running the football. And to me, when I think a a team that could excel in those two areas, they're what I call a pack-and-play team. It's literally like a pack-and-play. You just pack it up, you take it somewhere, you open it up, and you have some place to play. Because if you could play strong defense and run the football effectively, you're always going to be in a football game. It's complementary football. It's what Chip Kelly didn't understand and what the Eagles did not do under Chip Kelly. Yeah, and it's something that you saw Seattle Seahawks do so well for so long. Uh, We'll see what happens without beast mode. 
Uh, it's something you saw the 49ers do for that stretch of time. I mean, these are teams that were in the top five in rushing and top five in defense, and there's no coincidence they were two of the three best teams in the league. I'm not saying the Eagles are going to be <laughs> top ten as a unit, but what I am saying is it's great how they run the football. I, I agree. Somebody's going to need to be to step up, though, yeah. because I, I don't believe Ryan Matthews is going to stay healthy. I don't know that he's going to get fully healthy, but you need Smallwood, you need Marshall, you need Barner, you need somebody to emerge as a, a lead dog, and it needs to be a committee that you can rely on. All right, switching gears from training camp to Toronto, looking and previewing ahead the preseason opener Thursday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Give me what you hope you see, and give me the player that you think could jump off the page in this game. One of the things I hope to see, and probably the thing that I hope to see, is just how these guys, these corners, are able to match up. Mentioned earlier, you know, the, the power forward. You, you know, you got LaMarcus Aldridge out there at wide receiver in, in Mike Evans. Yep. So I want to see how they're able to match up against him outside. That's really the thing. I want to see how they could go against these receivers. Kenny Bell is another guy from from out Nebraska that's going to be be out there. And he's, he's a solid receiver, so I want to see those matchups. As far as individual players, I tell you, man, I call him the, the, the little engine that could, man, and that's Byron Marshall. Yeah. I want to see him in pass protection. I want to see him catch the ball out the backfield. I want to see them run him inside, the in between the tackles. I want to see them get the ball to him in space. He's the guy I'm looking forward to seeing, and you know, I think he's going to pop out because you get big plays from him. And with, and with Ryan Matthews being out and with Wendell Smallwood missing significant time, we'll see how much longer he's out of commission with the injury. You're going to give opportunities to somebody like Marshall. The question becomes, does he step up and can he win a roster spot? Because it's likely coming down to Ron. It will be a numbers game. It will yeah. eventually this summer become a numbers game. And for Byron Marshall, he's going to need to beat out Kenyon Barner. It's going to be tough, man, I, you know, because – I don't see them carrying five running backs. So no. you, you got four, and I, I think, you know, you're going to kind of – I want to see what happens. Ryan Matthews is the key to so many things because if, if he has to go on, you know, the IR with a designated return, then you could carry Barner and Marshall. But if he's going to be healthy, you're looking at a situation where it's like, okay, who am I going to be able to pass through the practice squad? Because I don't know that I could carry five – Five receivers, I, I, running backs. That's how I'm looking at it if, if I were the, the GM, sure, the coach. Sure, So now it's like, okay, uh, we were able to sneak Ken John Barner through waivers last year and get him on the practice squad, and we pulled him back up. I don't know be that able you to can do, do that, that with Marshall. I don't know you can do that with Byron Marshall, especially if he shows you something during these preseason games that begins on Thursday. As for me, the thing that I want to see, the thing that I'm interested in, and it's, it's not going to take long. You're going to see it or you're not to run. I want to see whether or not this offense is able to move the ball down yeah. the field. Can Sam Bradford orchestrate a fluid drive, lead them down the field, score points? You know you're probably only going to see the first team for a series or two at most, and then you get them safely back into bubble wrapping on the sidelines, as you should during hmm. preseason games. But I'll be honest, Toronto, I've been very underwhelmed in full 11-on-11 drills at this offense's ability, or in this case, its inability to move the football, to matriculate the ball down the field against this defense. And that's no slouch that you're lining up against. That's a fairly talented Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense that you'll be getting a look at next week. Everybody mentioned Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald and, and Sue when you're talking about top D tackles. I tell you what, 
Gerald McCoy, yeah. McCoy excuse yeah. me, is no joke either. So seeing him go against Allen Barber and, man, I mean, Wisniewski at, at right guard, you know, he's playing, he, he's played left and center. It's kind of like just, you know, turning things around a little bit and, and going from left to right. But I want to see if these guys are going to be able to protect Bradford. You saw what happened in the first uh, game against the Ravens yes, last year. Yes, we did. So yes, uh, we'll we see did. what happens. And you you think back, and, and, and that's a very valid point, because you, you think back to to the hit last year by Terrell Suggs on mm-hmm. Bradford. You th- you look ahead to Thursday night. Who knows if Brandon Brooks is going to play. I, I'm inclined to think that he it. won't. He, he's, he's yet to take a, a snap during this, this training camp. So you're looking at another situation with a very, very athletic, very dominant, very physical, tough matchup of a defensive tackle in Gerald McCoy. That, that could be a bear for this offensive line. And if I'm looking at one player who I think could jump off the page, he's become a bit of a punchline. A lot of people have written him off as a bust. Marcus Smith has made a position change to defensive end. He's been exuding confidence whenever you talk to him. Almost mm-hmm. seems like a whole new kid. Yeah. And it's not just it's not just talking. It's not just walking around with your shoulders arched back and being confident. Now that he's moved to defensive end and he's on the second team opposite of Brandon Graham, Teron, he's been making some plays during this camp. He's shown you that good quick first step off the line of scrimmage. He's gotten into the backfield. If he has a strong showing during this training camp and and through the four preseason games, I think he's a guy that could be worked into this rotation and be a contributor. Maybe somebody that could even get you three to five sacks this year. He'll be in a rotation regardless, I think. No doubt. And that's what Doug Peterson said the other day that he's going to be in the rotation. But, see, here's the thing. A lot of people don't understand how much of, of, of this game is attributed towards the mental side. When you get to this level, everybody could play. Yep. Marcus Smith has all the ability you could want. He was a first-round draft pick. Yep. Now, some people felt he was a reach, but he wouldn't have been a reach in the second round. So you're talking about one of the top 64 guys in the country a couple a few years ago. So the ability is there, but you mentioned the confidence. When you feel good about yourself yeah. and, and when you feel good about the situation that, that you're in and when you feel like you belong, man, it's it's crazy what you could do. I know it personally, man. I, yeah. I've, I've felt good about situations and done things. I, I did not think, you know, one-handed catches or whatever. Sure. I didn't think that I would be able to do. And that's just on the college level. Absolutely. Imagine in the NFL, you know, how psychological, how much mental it is. And, and that's really what allows guys to stand out. And, and that's a huge part of it. And there's no taking anything away from it, Teron. But even in his specific case, sure, he played outside linebacker at Louisville. But it's a lot different playing outside linebacker at Louisville than it is to go into the NFL and, and play outside linebacker in Bill Davis's cover base scheme, and you have to be cerebral. You have to drop into coverage. You're not just pinning your ears back and getting after the quarterback. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that when the Eagles fired Chip Kelly in Week 17 against the Giants, they asked him to put his hand in the dirt, and he goes out against the Giants and gets one and a half sacks. So as much as everybody's written, uh, you know, somebody like Marcus Smith off, I think that he might turn some heads. He might surprise some people during these preseason games it might start on Thursday I I agree I mean it's it's far too early to write him off and he's a guy that's back where he belongs and you saw it red zone a couple days ago he he, he's the one that got everything started for the D-line after the three straight touchdowns that the offense scored not in red zone but goal line you know 
explode off the ball like you mentioned, made the TFL to tackle for loss, got up and celebrate, let Deuce know right back at him, you know, and that's what got everybody going. So I, I, I think Marcus Smith, he'll be fine. So we'll be back with you after the preseason game. We'll break it all down. We'll look back on who stood out, who didn't, who's winning a roster job, who's losing a roster job. We'll break it all down, get into the practices after the the, the preseason opener against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But until then, Teron, this went by in a flash. I enjoyed uh-huh. it. Thank you to G. Cobb. Thank you to you. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at T Davenport underscore NFL. Read him at the EaglesWire.usatoday.com. I believe I got that website correct. 100%. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo975. You can hear me on the weekends on 97.5 The Fanatic from 2 to 6. And read me at NJ.com slash Eagles. It's been a lot of fun. Great to be back. Great to have Eagles football back, Teron. Thank you for listening to the Beat the Press podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please subscribe on Stitcher. Please subscribe on uh, Audio Boom and SoundCloud. Did I miss anything? Everywhere. We'll talk to you next week. Deuces.